we are talking about a comic book which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome everybody to episode 91 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I am Luke Matthews and I'm here today with Andy Padel. Hey. And Joel Simon. Sup? Uh, this show we were we are going to be discussing Next Wave Agents of Hate. Um, it is a, was it 10 issue? 12. 12 issue miniseries from 2007 uh, from it Marvel not by... not a Marvel crossover. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, written by Warren Ellis and drawn by Stuart Immonen, and we will be discussing that later. But before we get into that, there are actually a few things to talk about today, and mostly in the world of entertainment, not comics. Uh, the comic world has been pretty pretty laid back and boring of late. I mean, with the exception of... Um, Physical comics have been pretty yeah, laid back. It's yeah. a slow period. There's... Lando, the Lando comic. Yeah. Yeah. Lando Calvacy. Oh man, when we were in uh when we were at um Emerald City, Terry Dodson had basically the entire first issue of Princess Leia in original art there and it looks fucking fantastic. His originals are f- amazing. And but then I was I'm just like flipping through cuz like most most artists, regular artists with the exception of the super uber famous guys their page their pages of comics run 150 to 500 depending on the page right L- terry dodson's run 800 to 2500 a page depending on like covers his covers run 2 to 4000 dollars i was just like which sucks cuz he he had this awesome fucking cover of i think it was a cover. It might just have been a drawing, but this awesome drawing of Wonder Woman, like taking a, a duck face selfie with the Statue of Liberty, that was just amazing. But then I was like, oh, thirty five hundred dollars. Like, no, okay, no. never mind. And that's when I was like, I was looking at um, Jeff Darrow was there, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen Jeff Darrow's stuff in a while. And I'm like flipping through his book, and it's all like, like a a, a large white space sketch page was like two thousand dollars and i'm just like dude like yeah you're famous but come the fuck on like so your art's good i don't know if it's two thousand dollars right good. and that's the same thing like i've i've always wanted to get a piece from jim lee but like you can't i just can't afford it it's not like even just normal pages that he draws are in the thousands of dollars mm. like um I, I don't know if i've told this story on the show before but i was uh um when we read um, Astonishing X-Men for the show way back when. Um, it was years ago. <laughs> it was, actually. Um, there was a there's a two-page spread by John Cassidy of Colossus and Wolverine doing the fastball special, fastball special right? And I just absently i'm like i i I mean it was it was it had been gone so long that i knew that the art wasn't going to be available but i like i i hit up looked up john cassidy and he's got an art dealer and i emailed his art dealer i'm like hey this i'm looking for this page i know it's probably gone but do you have it and he's like nope nope that one sold a long time ago 
And I emailed him back and I'm like, just out of curiosity, what, how much would that page have cost? It sold for $11,000 for a two-page spread. Eat a dick. Was it on the original, like, uh, board? Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, but that's like, because, I mean, I've got quite a few pieces of original art in my house. And the most, I have only ever paid more than $1,000 for one piece of art. And that was also a two-page spread. And it was pencils and inks. And colorized, was there? Well, the colorized was the thing I printed. I had printed yeah. myself. But still, it's like, I mean, it was effectively, if per page, it was like 600 a page, right? Mm. Yeah. And so that's, that's, it's the high end of reasonable, in my opinion. But it's like... Not 11 grand? No. I'm oh. just like, fuck me. I would rather... I mean... But I would rather buy one of those than like Warhol's Campbell soup, you know. Exactly. That's well. That's the way I feel too. I mean, that's why I buy comic art. As a tangent, I thought you paid a lot more for that piece. Like I paid. I paid tri- for like triple that. No, I paid twenty. I paid twenty four hundred for. Yeah. No, you, you a got a deal. Double two page spread pencils and inks. Yeah, and it was really funny when I did that too because that was when I I emailed Ryan Otley and I'm like, "Do you still have this piece of art?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Will you sell it?" He's like, eh, "I don't really." want to sell it and i went if you were to sell it how much would you want for it and he's like it took like a week to get a response he's like twenty four hundred dollars an email and i looked at christina and i'm like what do you think she's like yeah sure go for it and i emailed i emailed him back and i'm like yeah we'll do it and i i i know damn well that on the other end he was like god damn it (laughs) like (laughs) because he didn't want to sell it but he's like well, I guess I have to now. Yeah. Well, he could have just backed out of it, but then he would he have pissed but... off one of his fans. Well, I mean, and he was he was really happy with it when I showed him the framing and everything. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was like, okay, you know, I, I sold it to somebody that actually, you know, takes pride in it and did it yeah. right. Really good. It's beautifully framed and everything. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> ah, the the so good. But that's the thing with the original art, like even. Like, I have a double two-page spread from... It was the last two pages of the first arc of the sixth gun. And even that was only... Like, those were only 300 a piece? Something like that? Like, I mean, Brian Hurt's art is getting more expensive. Yeah. Um, but still not... It's still not out of out of line, right? It's still not out of range. It's not unreasonable. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Who's the guy who does the Daredevil covers? Dejurovec or something like that? Yeah, I th- yeah, I know who you're talking about. I don't know how to pronounce his lit in his name though. Like I have seen, like hit, get, don't get me wrong, his pieces are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They're unrealistically priced, however. Yeah. I I don't know some of these guys like um, like we were looking for original art at Emerald City. We always do. Could not find like not only did we not find anything we actually really wanted, but we didn't find anything within our like price range like the the few very few things that we did find were like super expensive because like we have a we have a terry dodson piece at home too was the the she-ra um was an alternate cover for he-man right um and even that wasn't horrendously expensive comparatively which is odd because it's terry dodson and it was a cover piece but but like i've i've really i really enjoy now getting art from guys who are like newer artists or up and coming because like 
we we met Ibrahim Ibrahim Mustafa, who's the guy that does the art for high crimes, okay. and he's doing some other things right now. And I was looking through his art book, and I was like, "This is cool. It's all high crime stuff." And like, um, and then I flipped to the back, and he had a few just random drawings right one of which was a captain marvel a carol danvers captain marvel like full page you know cover quality and i was like that's that's pretty cool like i kind of like that and i'm not you know i'm not the hugest captain marvel fan but i really liked the piece and i liked the character just fine so i was like i i was just like probing i'm like so how much for the captain marvel and he's like i don't know and he thinks about it for a minute he's like 75 and i went <laughs> I'm like okay, I I guess so. <laughs> I'm so, I'm sort of of the opinion that like um since there is no like hard and fast rule for how much pages should cost and it is art and art, you know, is totally right. I think that artists should charge as much as they want for pieces. However, they also cannot complain if they're not selling them. Exactly, mm. right? And that's the weird thing to me are are artists like like Zach Howard has a dealer and I don't mind necessarily that he has a dealer except for the fact that he he couldn't even um, reliably speak to the prices of his own art because every time I asked him about a piece he's like well you got to talk to him and because his art dealer was there with him he's like you got to talk talk to that guy and I'm like that's that's eh. I, I, that bothers me to some degree. I, I understand why the more popular artists get art dealers because eventually it becomes a hassle to try and deal with. When people start actively seeking your pages, then you have to deal with a huge influx of people just like, is this page available? Is this page available? Is this page available? You know, and it's like, mm. it, I can understand it becoming a pain in the ass, but it's like, even if you have a dealer, you should at least be able to know how much your shit costs, yeah. you know? Um, Ballpark it. Yeah, something like that. Because I, I mean, uh, he's an artist. He doesn't deal with numbers. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I don't know money. And I don't want to. And the, the, here's the thing: I don't want to sound. I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on Zach Howard because he's actually one of the nicest guys I met this this con, and it was really cool to talk to and everything. It's just like that kind of thing um, was just like was, eh, was, was he nicer than Ed? Ed Brisson? Yeah, I'd put him on about on par. Okay. Like it was good. I had a really good couple of conversations with. Zach Howard while I was there so yeah it was pretty cool um, yeah anyway original art stuff that was a random tangent um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the the competing trailers from this last week so there was we, uh, competition there was there's <laughs> no there was, not really there wasn't okay just because the competition was overbalanced does not mean that it wasn't there it's more like so there was actually you know like the two trailers were getting ready they were they're both at the starting block and the gunshot went off, and you looked over, and Star Wars was shooting Batman versus Superman, Dong of Justin, <laughs> in the shin. Then the actual gun to start the race, and you know, just Star Wars was off. Yeah, the Star Wars trailer. My, I think you know, everybody's spooging over Han Solo, of course. You know, oh, Chewie, we're home. But uh, my, whatever. dude, like the fucking Star Destroyer in the background <laughs> of the planet. My favorite, mm, they fly into one. Yeah, the yeah. way that they did. The way they did the reveal on that was fantastic because of the fact that every single person was like, "Oh, that's a crashed X-wing!" And the "Oh my god!" <laughs> so it's like, it was. I really liked the trailer. I like the characters. I like the fact that they're focusing. It seems like their fo- two of their focus characters are awesomely a woman and a black guy. Yeah. Um. So you know, 
minorities well, in the leads yeah. is pretty awesome. I I, I know. know. I I know. And and Andy I I know the first time that I saw it I was like, "Oh, and there's a black Jedi. Oh my god, amazing." I forgot about Mace. I don't know how I forgot about Mace Windu. Maybe <laughs> because, because he was because only it, in the three not, movies for like 15 minutes. Well, but. they're also shit movies, but it's not Actually, the third one isn't that bad. It's not you great, know, but compared to the other two, it's it's better. Do not want yeah, it. it she might be died of a out. broken heart. I didn't say it was perfect. All right, <laughs> yeah. good action scenes, good fight scenes, and that's the one thing that's really surprising to me is that I'm getting my hopes up after so many years. Know, right? After so many years of just like <laughs> fuck you, George Lucas, fuck you, Star Wars. Well, George I can't Lucas believe has it. Nothing to do with that. That's I why, know, and that's and why. That's, but he's he's the guy that. That led the whole thing, you know. That's you the think thing under like, his purview that it would be. He's a fantastic idea guy, right? Yeah. He's like his ideas are amazing. The Star Wars universe is spectacular. Yeah, he should have the wherewithal to like come up with his ideas and then hand them to people who can execute them properly. Which is yeah. why I like because the best movie, the best Star Wars movie, was directed by someone else. I mean, even oh, yeah. re- even I even like people brag on Return of the Jedi a lot, but I love that movie, and I don't give a fuck about the Ewoks. I think they're fine. Yeah, I mean, it would have been cooler if they were, you know, Wookiees. Seven foot tall. Sure, yeah. But, yeah. but but I mean, I'm fine with the Ewoks because I, I understand they were in there to sell toys and everything. That's fine, but um, you know, it could have been Gungans. And then we got Gungans later, and we're like, yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah, big balls, you know. But yeah, the Star Wars trailer just like it. It's it got my hopes up too. It yeah, looks, I was I, I was a little surprised. I didn't see any lens flare in the entire thing. I get a feel. I get the feeling that maybe he like they people have told him like, dude, you got to you know, back off on the lens flare. Star Trek was a little much. You're becoming Michael Bay. Yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> I'm sorry. I like the fact that. I think they're doing a lot better job with um, like aerial and space combat. Like you know, I, I think they did a fine job with it in in Return of the Jedi. Um, I think it was pretty it was pretty two dimensional in the original Star Wars, and there wasn't a hell of a lot of it in in Empire. But in Return of the Jedi, they started to get this concept of three dimensional space combat, Dude, and that is one of my favorite things about Episode Three. The fight mm. scene at the mm-hmm. beginning that's just you know different planes like and i mean planes as in vertical and horizontal and sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. And shit. uh just there's dog fights going on at different parallels yeah. in the middle of the fucking yeah. yeah there there are things that i really like about the prequels there are things that i really don't like about the prequels um uh, but boss nab <laughs> those arguments have uh those arguments have been done to death so whatever so, and my question is do they have to start off every trilogy, Star Wars trilogy, on a desert planet? <laughs> is that is that the thing? Well, okay, so maybe not desert specifically, but I do, How know, do you that know that it actually starts in the desert. Yeah, planet? it might not. There is a desert planet on it. There yes, is, there is. <laughs> and that's it is where not Tatooine. I know. Well, I know it's not Tatooine because the the wasn't the second one or Episode One was that on Tatooine? Yeah, there was. They were on Tatooine when they went and found Anakin Pod racers. Okay. The pod race was on on Tatooine. Yeah. Um, the thing about so I learned a long time ago that one of the th- one of the I mean it's an old school old school storytelling technique, but it's something that Lucas impl- employed in every one of his movies that he very specifically wanted 
um, three distinct environments in every movie, so right? So you out. you like in Star Wars you have desert you have desert and then you have the Death Star and then you have the the space combat on the Death Star, right? Like so it's and then each movie has like these three distinct places where things occur and so I'm looking forward to seeing because you see in that trailer too, you see whatever the planet the, all the X Wings are flying over the lake and everything too. So there's mm-hmm. they're definitely gonna do it and I'm 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 cautiously excited. optimistic. Excited. You're fucking excited. I'm just say getting it. excited. Just, yes. just say it. It's okay. I'm a you little know what? chubbed up. I'm not gonna okay. lie. Yeah. Like it. But but as I've said, you know, as I said when we were talking about this earlier, we all felt the same way about the Phantom Menace trailer too. When yeah. Phantom Menace came out, we were like, fuck yes. And then Phantom Menace came out and, and then, shit all over our dreams. Uh, it was I just Jar Jar. I saw it at a midnight showing. So did we. Yeah, oh. I did too. And as soon as Jar Jar came out, I was and got in, saved. Oh god! I was because it line, started out so great. I was in line for twelve hours for that midnight showing, and I was not even close to the first person in line. Um, and that's the last time. Like that was the last time I waited in line for like for an extensive a period of time. Like I've been in line for like an hour for things before, but never. I'm never waiting in line for a day for stuff anymore. My first experience waiting in line for a movie was the 89 Batman. I didn't and wait that, in line for that, that one. thing was ridiculous. Like, it was like a five-hour wait. Well, we we saw that in a theater in a little tiny town that I lived in, so there, was no, there wasn't really a line because the theater wasn't that great, and it okay. was... Um, but, yeah... Um, speaking of lines, we got a Chick-fil-A in Bellevue. Holy fuck! The line overrated. I, if I, yes. If if the line is an indication of the rating, oh yeah, it's it's still just a fast it's food joint. Fast food. I like Chick Fil A. I really do. I like. The, I mean, we're not going to talk about their politics right now, but I like their chicken sandwiches. They're good chicken sandwiches. Yeah. But for people out there who don't quite understand this. The wait for the drive-through is an hour and a half right now, and people the the traffic the traffic backs up out of the Chick Fil A parking lot, half a mile down the street, and then half a mile down the freeway entrance to that street. It's actually backing up traffic on four hundred five coming into Bellevue oh. because of this goddamn because it's a and it's a fucking fast food joint. Who who in their right mind doesn't come up to the end of that line and go, Jesus, I'll eat it's a Taco Bell. Yeah, Jesus, it's just a chicken sandwich and drive away. That's, okay, yeah. I just want you to think about that for a second. What was who in their right mind? Everyone in that line, fuck them. They're idiots. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Except we were talking about this at poker the other day that somebody had the most fantastic idea because the line in the actual restaurant is significantly shorter than the drive through line. It's still long, but it's not like ridiculous. It's about a 20 minute, half hour wait to get into this and yeah, buy stuff have to stand. But no, somebody had a fantastic idea. One of my friends works a few blocks from Chick-fil-A and somebody's like, well, what you should do is go there, stand in line buy like, 10 or 15 chicken sandwiches and then go, and then go walk down the drive through line and sell them <laughs> at a markup to people. Yeah. For like seven or eight bucks. Because Chick-fil-A is not going to care. They're still selling their fucking sandwiches, no. right? But like that's... 
the the one thing I love is for how hipster that Seattle area wants to be. As soon as something as lowbrow as Chick Fil A comes in, everybody freaks out. That's the thing. That's Bellevue. You, <laughs> it's going to be Seattle, though. You think it'll be Seattle? Yeah, they're opening one in Linwood, and it's going to be the same fucking thing. And then they're going to open one in. Where's the third one opening? I think it's in Tacoma. Or is it but Renton or like Tacoma? The, but none of those locations are Seattle. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all it, no, Seattle it, it area. Well, because you know, he does have a point because hipsters don't have cars. So, <laughs> huh. so I, guarantee, right? I guarantee you that if one opened in Seattle, the exact same thing would happen. People are driving up here from Olympia to go to the one in Bellevue. I don't think it would. Yeah. I, I, I just, back in the day, I remember this thing called Krispy Kreme. Oh yeah! When Krispy Kreme Chris- came out, oh Jesus! And and there would be not the same line, but there would be a line for that kind oh, of. Oh, the Krispy Kreme in Issaquah had a comparable line for the yeah. first week, yeah, and, and people would drive forty five minutes out of their a way fucking just donut for a donut. I know? I just I mean I'm I'm all for a chicken sandwich every now and then. The place is good. the place makes good chicken sandwiches. They do it right, but Jesus fucking Christ, people. Sorry, sorry. That's another weird fucking tangent. But Jesus, I just like just get ugh. it off your chest. Meh. So, um, the yeah, the other trailer that came out was for Batman v Superman: Dong of Justin. No one cares. No one cares. I, just go it past just, it. It's just we're done. It's, I, yeah. I don't want to be done. I still want to kind of talk about it because it's really, like there's nothing really. This it's. It's too broish and too grimdark, and let's just do. And on. it's not even they're not even pulling off the. Okay, it's so not he, good grimdark. Right, it's grim creepy awkward. Yeah, the thing that I I like the concept of addressing the whole like false god kind of attitude, right? Because I think they've done that in other Superman comics, and it's fine. Um, but the way that the tone that they had with it, because I don't. You'll have to tell me because I'm not a huge DC guy, and I think you've read every I, I, comic on the planet. I don't know every like, um, DC's not my forte, but I'd give it a shot. Has there ever was there ever a story where Batman was just outright hostile towards Superman yeah. and wanted to kill him? There was yeah. okay. Mm. Because I don't remember that. I haven't read it. I don't, you know, I don't think. And I'm not familiar with it either. But I know that there was usually a buildup to that. Batman versus Superman, yeah, where like they're it, not. Red doing Sun this is a, a pretty good example. Yeah, it's an Elseworlds book. It's an Elseworlds book, um, I'm, uh, which is why I actually kind of want people to just think of these as Elseworlds stories because everybody's trying to compare them to Christopher Reeve Superman and Four Color Superman, and every, it's just like, why are you doing that? It's a different thing. So, um, to give you an example, there's a story called Tower of Babel, which is a Justice League story, mm-hmm. where someone breaks in and steals Batman's files on everyone, which includes ways to kill every single other member mm-hmm. of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. That gives you an idea of Batman's sort of... Okay, yeah. No, I, I mean, no, I get the... Like, I always knew that he had that, like, backup, because it was always just a, well, if one of these fuckers gets out of control, I'm going to be the guy that has the balls to take, it, take care of it. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, it just... The tone feels wrong, and this is coming from a guy who really liked Man of Steel. Ugh. Man of Steel, who really liked Man of Steel. Um, I enjoy Man of Steel a lot, and I like the I like the premise behind it. But what I what I'm disappointed in is that I liked Man of Steel as a kind of darker intro to what Superman was supposed to become, and we're not getting that. We're not getting the we're not getting the build up. We're getting literally like. 
step one and step 17. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm... Uh, I don't so know. here's my question is that I, I know that Batman's contingency plan for Superman was that he had kryptonite. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm just going to hit him with they don't have kryptonite. kryptonite in this universe? No, they don't. I mean, they have... Magic. The krypton... The, they have the Kryptonian atmosphere, right. that kind of stuff. Maybe they're using some of the world breakers that were from the previous movie, and he took parts from it. Maybe I, that's what it is. It, it's interesting to me because, like, some of the imagery in the in the trailer is fantastic, right? Like the 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 robotic super fighting suit that Batman has is like straight out of the Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. and it's like. It's kind of cool, but like, I don't know. We'll have to see how it's executed because I, like I said, I like Man of Steel. So if the if the movie has a better tone than the trailer, then it'll be fine. But the trailer's really uh, speaking uh, speaking of uh, fucking tone deaf trailers. Did you guys see the trailer for Ant Man? I liked it. Oh, I actually liked it. So like, I'm not like, oh my god, it's not going to be a ten out of ten. But I'm going to go in there and I'm going to go have fun. Yeah. Yes. If it's dude, the if fight handled, scene on the train. No, no, no. I okay. <laughs> yeah. I get all Zooms that. Out and just shows the train fall over. Here's my problem. Like I love the comedic bits that they threw in. There was like two really good comedic bits, including the Thomas the Tank Engine thing. But they, um, the rest of the trailer was so completely tone deaf that it actually sucked some of the comedy out of those scenes. Huh. It was like, especially the music. The music was just like super dramatic. And, and we're yeah. talking about a guy that can shrink. And for grow. Fucks, and grow. Yeah, for fuck's sake. But not probably not in this movie. Yeah. The, the, like, the next movie is Giant Man. Yeah, I mean, this is... this. And then Cyber Thor will blow a hole in his chest. <laughs> right. That's Civil War. It's like, oh I mean, shit. This is like a fucking... <laughs> Wrong guy. Yeah. This is like a... It's like a... It's a character from the Misfits of Science, for fuck's sake. Yeah. You, like, you just... You need to have more... It needed to be more comedy and less drama. And I think... I, I kind of... I hope that what they were going for was to be super dramatic and then cut the tension immediately, but they failed, is what I'm saying. It's like... Yeah. They, I, I think they just wanted to introduce the bad guy. You know? Because yeah. that's pretty much what it was. Okay. Wasp. Yeah. What's the... No... It's not wasp, no. <laughs> Yellow <Ultron>. jacket. <laughs> Yellow jacket. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but he, they just wanted to establish the bad guy and like why Ant Man needs to be there because they're trying to give out superpowers to everything, you know. So it's kind of yeah. going. It's kind of going in what the the ultimate Marvel universe is. Yeah, where finishing. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, where where they just want uh, you know, to establish superheroes for all. You know, soldiers. I just, I, I dislike the concept of Ant. I like Ant Man as his own story. Just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't work to me because, uh, like, the Ultimate Universe is a good example where I actually loved uh, Hank Pym's like spousal abuse, spousal abuse, asshole. Yeah, like that yeah. whole storyline as a side character, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it was it. it introduces him as a character that's like well we need him so we got to use him even though he's a fucking dick um where in this one they're trying to introduce um you know a different ant-man that's that's not the greatest of guys but he's he's like the he's still a superhero yeah and i don't know i I just (laughs) daredevil's fucking fantastic yeah it is everybody should go watch it we're only i'm only six episodes in but that show is Amazing, so everybody should go watch it. Yeah. We'll spoil more of it um, 
yeah. in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, in a, f- in a few weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll get like a well, one-month hiatus on Daredevil. We're not going to do it here? No, we're not going to do it here because it's it's still it's, only it's a week out. So um, When this posts, it'll be, what, two weeks? Yeah, something like that. So I, I love how Vincent or the the kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Yeah, D'Onofrio is um, – he's – He's channeling his Salton Sea. Have you ever seen Salton Sea? Uh, Salton Sea. He was he was a meth dealer that didn't have a nose and was just as fucking creepy as he is <laughs> in this. And so I was like, oh, I so unnerved whenever I watch. I know, this. and I love the fact that they're developing his relationship with his wife from the get go, and it's like that they're doing such yeah, a fantastic nice job. Nice no, I'm not. I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> For the last two weeks since Emerald City Comic Con, we have been reading Next Wave, Ages of Hate. What? It's not been since Emerald City. Has it been since? Yeah. The last episode was episode 90, and that was the Emerald City Comic Con combo podcast. Okay, combo podcast. I was like, Joel and I were just arguing this. We didn't do an Emerald City individual show because we couldn't record anything other than the interview with Ed Brisson. I thought it was Lucifer. Yeah, we did them all in the same episode. Ed Brisson interview and we Lucifer no, were the same I, episode. Dear listeners at home, we actually have no idea what ed, like editing magic happens after we get done talking. That's yeah, I'm the like, only person that has any kind of overview of what happens on this show <laughs> at all. Yes. Um, for the better. So uh, one of the format changes we're, we're going to do for this particular episode of the show and going forward is... Um, instead of doing buy, borrow, burn at the end of our review of a book, we're going to start doing it at the beginning. The premise behind that idea is that um, we are a very spoilery podcast. We spoil the shit out of the books that we talk about because we do it in like a book club format where we kind of hope that um, by publishing our our future episodes ahead of time, readers will go read the book and then listen to the show along with us and you know agree or disagree with our opinions. So now we're going to do buy, borrow, burn at the beginning with the hope that if we say buy or borrow, you'll you know maybe go out, grab, pause the show, go out, grab the book, read through it, and then listen to our, our talk about it if you care about spoilers. <clears throat> if we say burn, then you're free to just be like, fuck it, I'm just going to read why it. Was this terrible? Terrible. Why was this terrible? And, and then you, know, you can make your decision at the end. So for Next Wave, Agents of Hate, this was Andy's suggestion. So we're going to start with, well, no, we'll end with Andy because uh, um, that's the way we usually do it. So I'm going to start with Joel. What do you do for Buy, Borrow, Burn? I buy it. Yeah, I, I would. I already bought it. Um, they have a very nice ultimate like soft cover collection that has all 12 issues. And they also, if you can find them, there are two hardcover books that are six issues each that are very nice as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm an instant buy. This book is fucking hilarious. So I guess it's up to me. Uh, buy. Like it's... The the nice thing about this book is it really is it's um it's very much in my line of stuff that I like like Heroes for Hire or uh, Thunderbolts where it's these like B or C list people yeah and in general it's just a fun book like it's it doesn't take itself seriously it makes fun of other comic books it just if you want to read a comic book and laugh at something yeah like weaponized drop bears. <laughs> All right, so since we've got three buys, let's talk about why. Like, you start, since you were the one that right. uh, suggested the book. So when I read this back as single issues, all I knew was that Warren Ellis was writing a book that had Boomer in it, as well as uh, Elza Bloodstone. And I'm like, okay, 
this is sort of you know exactly the sort of stuff that I enjoy. That's a non-serious. So hold book. on a second. Elsa Bloodstone is a character from another comic. Yeah, they're all characters. okay. They're I all thought, characters from I other thought, comics. I thought it was uh, even Captain. Uh, the Captain is the only original. Okay. I, uh, why don't you give a little summary then for readers? So, so a group on. of uh, B-list superheroes get uh, hired by a group called Hate, which is highest anti-terrorism effort. And they go and save the world, kind of, from <laughs> minor threats. Well, they 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 split break off. They break from off from hate, hate and yeah. save the world from minor threats. The first thing that they fight is Fin Fang Boom. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to put you in yeah. my pants. <laughs> it, to give you an idea of the tone of this book, uh, as soon as Fin Fang Boom wakes up, um, they explain that Fin Fang Boom's mother was a very slutty lizard who did very horrible things with a pile of radioactive waste. <laughs> Nine months later, Fin Fang Boom was born. Tragically, Fin Fang Boom was born without genitals. <laughs> fin Fang Boom is wearing pants, and Fin Fang Boom really wants to breed. Henceforth, Fin Fang Boom is really, really angry. <laughs> that is the most serious thing yeah. in this book. At the end of the book, the what you think is the final battle is against a Bodok, which is a baby Modok. Baby Modok, yeah. But that's not actually the last boss that they fight. The last boss that they fight is a T Rex. It's, it's demon it's, dinosaur. Yeah, it's, it's devil dinosaur. Devil yeah. dinosaur. Who's an actual and character Moonboy. as well. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's so over the top. Like one of the big dramatic fight scenes has them fighting guys with pterodactyl suits. Yeah, uh, the aforementioned weaponized drop bears. Um, they fight plant people all the, the time. There's the cop. Oh, what do they call the crabs? The the, the death ass- crabs the, or the, something the, like that. Yeah, yeah salt crabs. Yeah, homicidal crabs. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, and there's this there's a single panel that I absolutely love in the first book. I think it's like issue six or five, um, where it's Elza Bloodstone and Boomer, and they're in a, a field where they're growing these plant soldiers. And Elza Bloodstone is in this like very traditional samurai pose, but she's holding a shovel. A shovel, yeah. And Boomer is ready to explode people. Uh, it's just like this really dramatic, you know, like action dynamic-y thing. And the uh-huh. weapons that they have are not actual weapons at all. She be- she beats the shit out of a bunch of uh, samurai robot samurai with this shovel, and then there's this awesome posed like panel where she just says owned <laughs> it's like uh like some of the the flashback to other people's comics or what actually uh-huh. happened in the comics one of my favorites is cable screaming at boomer yeah. <laughs> someone <laughs> x bait come to me my, my cybernetic suit is about to prolapse prolapse yeah i uh cy- cybernetic pro- cybernetic mutant prolapse imminent um that's probably one of my favorite things about this book is that it is um, it is, ex- for lack of a better way to put it, it's very feminist. There's the team consists of three women and two guys, one of which is a robot, and um, the a lot of the book spends time making fun of how dude bro the rest of the actual Marvel universe is right and one of my that's probably one of my favorite parts is like Monica Rambeau is the lead character and a she lot of people out there an Avenger. yeah a, a lot of people out there she will recognize the Avengers recognize, I really get hit, sick of hearing people say that <laughs> <laughs> um like a lot of people will know Monica Rambeau as being Captain Marvel, you know, one of the iterations of one Captain of seven Marvel, Captain right? Um, and then she was Photon, I think, was the name yeah, of her. Photon. Yeah, Photon. Yeah, um, I do like the, the commentary where the Machine Man is like, "Are you going to go by your code name and ineffectually bounce off people with yeah. no effect?" <laughs> yeah. Um, the 
and the, the some of the most hilarious conversations are about like things that happened to these women when they were part of other superhero teams and there is an a fantastic conversation between um Elsa I think it's Elsa Bloodstone and Monica Rambeau when they're just sitting around and she's talking about like uh talking about being in the Avengers and and the the little panel with her and Captain America is fucking amazing um and i don't want to give it away because there's a lot of humor in this in this book i mean it's it is a it's a joke book it it, it is yeah um so this book actually was taking place at the same time as civil war mm-hmm. and if you look if you're at your local comic book store at you know about mid civil war point and you looked at the marvel section everything was like a civil war tie-in you know a civil war crossover blah 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 blah, blah. These books specifically said this is not part. It was using the same font and everything. It was like not part of a Marvel crossover event, yeah, was, and they had a plaid cover for the single issue. <laughs> yeah, the final issue. The final issue was like, and it has Civil War with a question mark. <laughs> yeah, Civil War. Um, like there was also uh, like seven or eight different covers for the second to last issue with all of the different um, things that they were fighting against. Oh yeah, it's so good. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm laughing my ass off because the... Oh, I guess it's an 11 issue series. That's what it says. It says yeah, chapter sure. 11 for the... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they actually misnumbered it. But one of the things... I'm just laughing at the Civil War issue because it's got them all standing on the front holding up different signs. Monica Rambeau's holding up a sign that says, We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them are holding up a sign that says, Please love us. And then fucking Machine Man's in the background with a... With a sign that says "Mark Millar licks goats." <laughs> uh, um, Warren, it's it's like Warren Ellis's humor in this is just it like was, it was so good, and um, yeah. like there's some references to like so Warren Ellis did a big run on Suicide Girls where he was doing actual articles for a long time, yeah, and yeah. they were great. And he actually references his personal love for the site when they're fighting this pseudo Doramamu guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this uh, this demon is talking about how he's going to crush everyone underneath, you know, his thing, except for the Suicide Girls. I want, he likes I want girls from the, from Suicide Girls, you know, with the, the tattoos and the piercings. <laughs> Cash will work, too. <laughs> it's like, how much do you have on you? I got a hundred on me. I have a hundred American dollars. <laughs> like, oh God. It's just, I mean, like, so like the big threats that they fight against, first off, Fin Fang Foom. Second off is the cop who becomes like a Voltron-esque transformer guy. Um, third off was Dormammu, right? Yeah. Or yeah, not, it, not Dormammu, but Dormammu and his mud the, people. The uh, mindless ones. Yeah, yeah, the mindless ones. Um, and then in the second part after that, they start going after uh, Dirk Inger himself. Oh, no, 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 no. The, uh, the, samurai, the samurai and the plant people were the second or the third one. And, oh. then, and then it's the mindless ones. Okay. Oh, the mindless ones episode or issues. When you're a jet, you're always a jet. Just, yeah, yeah, like the, <laughs> yeah. they start the issue with like them snapping, like and then snapping the, dancing. Fingers. The my favorite one, it, like they've the panel they've just all got jumping and snapping their fingers at the same time. That th- that issue dun, 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 dun. has a ton. It basically so what happens is um, they summon mindless ones from one of the pocket universes, and they're these big mu- the mud things with laser faces yeah. that kill people and. They take over this little town in Colorado, and it keeps showing different scenes of these mindless ones just 
having killed everybody around them, taking their place. So it's like a bunch of bunch of them sitting in a diner, and a bunch of them like uh, skateboards, driving a court car. And yeah, the one where like he, you see the hand pick up this baseball cap, and then the next scene is him with the baseball cap on, some big mud guy with a sideways baseball cap, and four of them riding skateboards down the street. It's just yes. like. I love the fact that they play fast and loose with the Marvel continuity, right? Which, I mean, technically this book could very easily fit within continuity. It's just that they decide to make it funny instead of, you know, hyper serious. Yeah, and it it pokes fun at all the seriousness of uh, Marvel comic books. Mm -hmm. You know, like Monica Rambeau was, like that one scene you were talking about with the Avengers where, where... uh, Captain America says, "Go make me a sandwich. We'll handle this. Go make me a sandwich, Monica." Yeah. You know, or or the or the fact that Cable, that Boom Boom was with Cable, and they actually make Boom Boom kind of cool. She's really yeah. dumb, though. Yeah, I, like she, she is really purposely dumb. really dumb. They actually yeah, made it a plot point that she but was stupid. It's really yeah. funny because she spells her name wrong. Yeah, <laughs> she <laughs> like she encorpses. <laughs> she blows up like let's say a hundred of these mindless ones, and she spells her name with the way that their bodies fall. And uh, Machine Man's like, "Tabby, you spelled your name wrong." And she's like, "No, I didn't." He's like, "T A B Y." She's like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! Oh, it, yeah, I, there's just it pokes fun. It doesn't take itself seriously, and it's amazing because of it. And uh, I wish we had more comics like this. I mean, this reminds me a lot. Um, like Hawkeye starts to step into this range with some of its comedy, but even though, even so, it's still you know Hawkeye is still. Um, mired in continuity, right? So they have to kind of keep it a little more serious because they're, you know, things that they do in Hawkeye feed into other comic books, but like they don't do this enough mm-hmm. where it's just, it's just fun, mm-hmm. you know? It's like the whole thing is super fun. What were you going to say, Andy? I just, I'm going to call it Tabitha's line after everyone gets defeated by the guy who sends people into their, you know, their minds of their worst nightmares and she's completely unaffected because she's pretty much brain dead. The little guy did something to your heads. I gave him the explodo because I am clever. (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to say, Joel? Oh, I was just going to say it it doesn't... it takes everything that's serious about because comic books try to take themselves seriously, you know, especially during Civil War where it was a big battle between you know, registration and not registration. It was mm-hmm. like, you know what? We're just going to poke fun at everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the one thing that I love because it is it is a whole bunch of people with superpowers doing ridiculous things, mm-hmm. you know, and it's he Warren Ellis does such an amazing job at just lampooning everything yeah you know and and a lot of people tried it they've tried this before i mean i know deadpool his whole shtick is Mm -hmm. based on this and sometimes it comes off well and sometimes it doesn't but you know um this is just tone perfect it's pitch perfect yeah love it i am um we have to talk about dirk anger uh like the leader of of hate um is this just fuck up named Dirk Anger and huh they numbered him backward whereas yeah <laughs> um so Dirk Anger is this uh kind of partially cybernetic guy who's um 
the butt of most of the darkest humor in the book, um, especially like really early on. He's he's basically he has lost his special ops team, which are the people who end up you know making up next wave, and he spends the whole book trying to find new ways to kill himself. And the first one, the first one they show, if you can imagine this, is he gets a call and you hear him like he's got this lever in his hand and then they zoom out and he is on a giant version like like bat cave artifact version of a of a revolver with the barrel bent around backward to point at him and you the the whole scene is that there are five shells on the ground so you're assuming he's doing the russian roulette thing right and then right before he's supposed to leave the room he pulls the lever and the hammer falls and it snaps and doesn't fire and he just goes i'm so alone <laughs> <laughs> so uh when they the first time that they fight against him uh aaron stack like how they defeat him is like he's got you know literally a hundred different types of terrible ideas that are weaponized uh, and Aaron Stack breaks in and steals a dress from his <laughs> from his closet, and basically Aaron Stack is floating in front of the thing. He's like, "Can you please direct the cameras on me?" So if you attack next wave, I I'm real clumsy and I might burn this dress, and I don't know, you know, something really bad could happen to it. That's how they defeat him the first yeah, time. Yeah, it's his mom's dress. He's like, "Call off, call off the attack," and the woman's like, "What? Why?" <laughs> He's like, just call it off. So the best part is that, you know, when finally things start going right for him, he was about to commit, uh, do another suicide attempt. And he's like, oh, cool. And then he trips because he's about to hang himself. And he actually hangs himself after things are going well for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he comes back as a zombie. Yeah. yeah he can't even die. I'm um, so tragic. I think one of the things that we need to move on to, because he's, he's, this was, I think fairly early in his career, but we need Stuart to talk Eminem. about Stuart Eminem's artwork. It's so good. The, my first exposure to Stuart, Stuart Eminem's artwork was actually Ultimate Fantastic Four. Okay. And I remember even back then just being like, fuck, it's so good. Did he do the arc that we covered a long time ago with, um, oh God, it was a Cloak and Dagger story and maybe X-Men? No, you're thinking of uh, the one with the kids. Yeah. Runaways. Runaways. And no, it, I don't think it was Eminem. No, it, that was Adrian Alfona. Okay. Um, his his art is n- now, it's developed quite a bit since this. Yeah. But even back in this uh, era, one of the most fantastic things about Stuart Eminem's art in here is, one, his action poses are just phenomenal. He's an incredibly dynamic artist. Um but one of the things that I've always loved about any comic that has comedy is you have to sell it with facial expression. And he does a fantastic job of that. His yeah. facial expressions are just, like, uncannily good. Um, and he he he's borders on cartoony in a lot of... And when I say cartoony, I mean, like, you know, like, Sunday morning cartoon type cartoons. Yeah, like Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, um... Justice League or um, the Star Wars cartoon that mm-hmm. was going on for a while. Uh, it's it's a very solid line structure where there's not like a lot of like cross hatching and stuff like that. It, you mm-hmm. know, simple lines, very good clean, color, clean. Um, and I've always, oh, excuse me, I've ben I've Bobby. always liked Eminence art, um, and I I think in. 
in Ultimate Fantastic Four, where I first got his introduction, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, and was just very taken with his art. And it's one of those guys that I've always wanted to try and find original art for him. Um, he's never been to Emerald City, as far as I know. Um, or at least I haven't seen him there. I think he was there about five years ago. Okay. That was before we were buying original art. So um, the I'm curious to find out if any of this book is still available because it is relatively obscure. Um, even though Warren Ellis wrote it, I think that this is like the only reason I ever knew about this book was because of you. And I don't know that a lot of people would even, yeah, I don't even know that a lot of people would know, you know, where this book came from. So, um, seeing, going back and seeing why, like, yeah, sorry, I keep pointing out panels to Luke of weaponized drop bears and the hilarity that is related. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just, Sorry, I, I'm totally going on tangent here for no, a second. No, it's totally so, fine. So whenever you, like, the wackiness of this book, just it nails it where it's so strange that you can't it, you can't help but have a smile on your face when you're looking at some of this stuff. Yeah. It's it's just, it's so different than anything you would expect from a comic. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, it's, I, and it, the thing that amazes me is how they can pull off the absurdity of things especially with Aaron Stack yeah where like the scene with the drop bears when he he <laughs> flips his hands and it's all just kinds of like there's a pair it's like, of it's like Edward Scissorhands with random blades like there's a butcher knife Swiss Army and hands. A Swiss, yeah and just all this random shit on there um, Fin Fang Foon coughs up his own heart after he swallows <laughs> yeah. Aaron Stack um God, I just can't, I can't say enough good things about this book yeah. anymore. It's like I don't even know where to go with it because it's like there's so the one thing that I really enjoyed about this is that it takes all these B-list characters and makes them real, right? Monica Rambo who is and also ran in all these Avengers comics <sighs> makes her into a like a full character Tabitha um they they Tabitha make her, is a character they, of herself. Well, yeah, but they make they but it's consistent. But she's actually given a personality, right? It's right. a dumb personality, but at least that's a person she is. And she's a capable person because she defeats a lot of the the enemies that they go against. So when you think the most ridiculous and dumbest character out of the entire group like finishes, she's like the ex machina, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, we can't defeat this robot. And then she, boom, boom, <laughs> you know? Um, go boom now. Yeah, and then Aaron Stack, who nobody really knows about, he's just like a mechanical guy. Machine Man, yeah, and and there's the whole backstory where he goes and talks to the Celestials, <laughs> and they're just like, "You're a dick." <laughs> yeah, uh, and then oh, we can, we haven't talked about the the whole like profanity. Oh, Captain Fuck, Captain yeah. Fuck, and uh, like every the, the first uh, the first scene where he's talking about it, he's like, "Why?" There's, she's Elsa Bloodstone's like, "Why did you name yourself Captain Fuck?" Um, everything else was taken. <laughs> yeah, so they um they bleep out all the profanity in this book and it be it makes it even more hilarious like just trying to figure yeah. out which <laughs> swear word they're bleeping out with the the, the four skull and crossbones, crossbones. Uh, I love his backstory when the alien like he's so Captain Fuck was You're just turning away from us. That's 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 part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking celestial puts up the the loser L on his forehead. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no. God, I want to talk about Captain Fuck for just a second here because when he gets his powers, he was a, just a random guy who was drunk in a bar and was going home. <laughs> and these two little green aliens are talking about how they're going to give him majesty and power, and he's like, okay. 
and they like burn this like star into his chest and he's like i was kind of hoping it was something i could sell but you know <laughs> and then he just punches both of them he's like fuck i thought that you got leopard because he thinks they're leprechauns yeah. the entire time he's like i thought when you punched leprechauns they turned into coins <laughs> oh well oh bending over wasn't such a good idea and then he throws up on him. Yeah. <laughs> oh man spoil the shit out of this and i'm so sorry it's, it's fine like that's the thing it's it's I you know honestly I think it's one of the funniest comics Marvel's ever done like they're just it I can't even talk about how funny like yeah the especially one of my favorite things and this is where my this discussion of original art from earlier comes one of the things that I really want is one of those one of those double page fight splash pages oh from the second to last issue. So for listeners in the second to last issue there, they bust into the, you know, the supposed lair of the bad guys. And, um, <clears throat> it's literally, I think six double page yeah. fight scene splashes with, and it has next wave and then has some kind of funny quip under it. Well, about, like, you have to buy six issues of this comic now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so in one of the backgrounds, there are these blue pirates who have laser peg legs. <laughs> the laser peg legs are shooting down at Boomer, and Boomer is actually throwing explosions up. Yeah. And it's just so good. And there's like laser giant... Laser peg legs and the, the Elvis Modox. Yeah, the Elvis Modox. Um, there's a plane that has a, is being piloted by a rattlesnake, if I remember right. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> there's definitely ninjas in one of them. Uh, I mean, just anything you can possibly... They're just fighting their way through everything. The guys in robot wheelchairs. Yeah. like With, with like spikes on the wheels and stuff. I mean... Now we're just kind of naming shit out of the book. Well, and yeah, like, but that's but that's what it is. So, like, one of the things is is that the humor is so deep in this too, because mm-hmm. uh, you guys were talking about Cable. So, B- Boom Boom was part of X Force, right? Yeah. And one of the things about X Force and Cable was that, um, uh, what's uh, no foot guy? Why can't I pull up a Forge? No, no, not not Forge. Who created X-Force and Cable? Oh, Liefeld. Liefeld, okay. So one of the things about Liefeld is that he made his guns super humongous, right? Spawn. <laughs> yeah. Is it like a perfect example? There's that issue number seven of Spawn. Oh, oh, where there's right. a when Liefeld's drawing Spawn. Yeah, and it's there's like literally a gun that is as big as Spawn himself. Yeah, and so to, to, make, to poke fun at that... Ellis decides, like, goes into this flashback where Cable's lifting. He says, I'm lifting my gun, uh, cyber organic prolapse imminent. Yep. You know, help me. You know, it's because the gun is so big that his he's going to shit out his intestines. <laughs> boom, boom. Hold my intestines while I lift this gun. You know, it, it's just, just... Come to me, X-Mate. <laughs> yeah. So, so oh, good because he pokes fun at every little and that's, niche. And that's one of my favorite parts about this book is... is um, the the fact that he he pokes fun and I, I talked about this earlier, but he pokes fun at so much of the broiness of some of the other comics and how the female characters are treated. Yeah, um, and that's actually one of the best things about it because especially when they're just like um, the the part when um, uh, Captain Fuck like flies through the ship and knocks himself out. Yeah, lands on the ground face down, ass up, and and they're like. Is he dead? Not and she's like, he's, not still. A, he's he'd still be farting. <laughs> and then and then later, like four pages later, the fight has stopped and he's still on the ground. And Monica Rambeau goes, "Is how is her? How is how's the captain?" And Elsa's like, "He's farting." And she's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> it's like, um, I like so. This book is literally absurd. 
I think like Bodok's description of how he was conceived in the server light of World of Warcraft servers. <laughs> like you read that and you're just like, what the, f- what was he smoking when he I thought it? it's just, it's just fun to read. It is. It yeah. gives you an insight into the humorous side of Warren Ellis's mind, right? It's like he's real good. because one of the things one of the things that is required for humor to come off well in these books is for the writer to be smart, and Warren Ellis is fucking super smart. He proved that with Planetary, right? You read Planetary, and you're like, this guy's this guy's brains on another level. Um, but one of the things that I think that he does really well that other really intelligent writers like I'll use Grant Morrison as, as an example both very intelligent I think Warren Ellis can pull off humor a lot better than than Morrison can um, because he's just he, he knows that he knows the line he's able to toe that absurdity line just perfect so that it's like it's funny but it's not out of like out of reach for most readers. So, um, and you know, his in jokes are just the right amount of in, you know, yeah, I, like, so I want to talk about Warren Ellis for just one more second because I love Warren Ellis. Um, yeah, the depth and variety of stuff that he has written mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just crazy. I mean, so the same guy who wrote planetary wrote this. He also wrote, uh, red. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, f- Oh shit. Um, the one where they go to the the moon and find the other civilization. I can't think of it. Uh, like Deep Blue or something. Like, but just the the variety of stuff that he can write about and write well about. Yeah, like he's writing guy, trees right now. Yeah. And trees is I'm really enjoying that book. You know, he can take 24 issues and do use it uh, use it an example in Planetary as a history of pop culture. Yeah. And turn it into a superhero story. Then he can, on the complete opposite side, take 12 issues and write about absolutely nothing. And you know what? You're <laughs> fucking riveted the riveted, entire yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we have to say. You know, we we said at the beginning it's a it's a three a three person buy, and I think we're gonna we're gonna reinforce that by just saying go go get this book if you can find it. If you're at all a fan of Marvel comic books, if you're at all a fan of Warren Ellis, if you're at all a fan of laughing at stuff, this book is fantastic. It's funny without knowing anything about Marvel. It's better if you know marvel um marvel stuff because there's so many in jokes and little you know asides but yeah it's like shakespeare but with more punching (laughs) (laughs) so that was next wave agents of hate and we are going to (coughs) i've got we've got the next lots of episodes planned out um, of course we're three uh, yeah it's all i was going to do um the next one is a listener suggestion we're going to do supreme blue rose uh we were requested that because um the person reading it was like can you please explain this to I me think i understand it, it <laughs> i haven't read it yet so i'm about to try uh episode 93 is going to be the empty man which is a cullen bun horror comic uh that i think Dark Horse did? I think it came out from Dark Horse. I'm sure. No, no, no. It's it's Boom Studios. That's right. Uh, and then uh, episode 94, we're going to do Alex and Ada, which is one that I've been talking about because it's like, it's it's just really, really good. Um, so I'll go to episode 95. We're also doing Gotham Central, um, which is going to be... So good. Yeah. Uh, it's a Delicious. Ed, Ed Brubaker and um, Greg Rucka both have written it at different points and it was, yeah, it was fantastic um so yeah supreme blue rose the empty man alex and ada gotham central uh go out and buy yourself a copy of of next wave next wave get the trade get singles get the hard covers however you can acquire it Mm -hmm. do so yeah 
absolutely fantastic. Um, if you would like to be a part of the show, uh, you can email us at tradesecretsatgeekerific.com. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash podcast. You can hit up our Twitter account at tradesecretspod. Um, we're all individually on Twitter. I'm at Geek Elite. I'm at Mathastrophe. Joel? I'm at Superfly. Uh, and you know, we'll talk to you on Twitter. We love getting, uh, fan emails. Uh, I think the next, for the next episode, I've actually got a few fan, uh, emails that I want to, that I want to read. Uh, we didn't quite get them in time to like parse them out for this episode, but I'll definitely have them for next episode. So, um, but yeah, we, we love hearing from people. If you want to tell us how much we suck, then that's great. I also wanted to personally, I wanted to thank, uh, Aaron and Diane from just enough trope podcast. They interviewed me as an author for their podcast, uh, this last week and it was a tons of fun. So, um, I, you know, I just started listening to their show after, uh, after Emerald city because I actually didn't know they had a podcast until, um, I knew that, that Aaron was, a he worked for a convention, um, but I didn't know they had a podcast and I started listening to their show and they're, it's a great show. If you guys, uh, have enough time there, it's, it's a general, nerd stuff comic book uh talk podcast called just enough trope so um you can get their information at uh they're at just enough trope on twitter as well and uh just enough trope.blogspot.com is their website so yeah uh, we will see you guys in two weeks for supreme blue rose please fire us some emails uh or twitter questions or facebook questions and we will we will try and address them on the show and also on the next episode we will likely be talking more in more depth about the entire run of daredevil um just because i think we will all have watched it by then and we can spoil it without worrying too much about you know it'll have been a month or so at that point yeah and we'll have spoiler warnings but we always do because this show is spoilery as hell so Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been episode 91 of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and we are out. Peace.